this evening for our text, Ruth chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. And when she, referring to Ruth, was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not. And let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her, and leave them, that she may glean them, and rebuke her not. So she gleaned in the field until even, and beat out that she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of of barley. And she took it up, and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she brought forth, and gave to her that she had reserved after she was sufficed. Throughout our study of the book of Ruth, as we've journeyed thus far, we've discovered that, especially have seen this uh, focus present of the uh, love of Boaz and the grace that was extended from Boaz to Ruth and how this had a profound impact on Ruth as such a love she received from Boaz cultivated a desire within her to develop a relationship and fellowship with Boaz. In verse 13, we read, going back a little bit, Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for thou hast comforted me, and for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thy handmaidens. And so Ruth had been comforted by Boaz, as she stated here in verse 13. She was not just saying she had received comfort from him, or by him, which she had, but he actually comforted her. And he had spoken friendly unto her, he befriended her, and even though she was different, and she acknowledged that as a stranger, she recognized by all of this, of course, that she had received uh, grace and love and favor that was unmerited or undeserved on her part. In verse 10, she goes, uh, she proclaimed just verses prior to what we just read, then she, Ruth, fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, why have I found grace in, the, in thine eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? So here, of course, she recognized again her, her unworthiness to receive of the favor of Boaz, of the grace, of the love that Boaz was extending and demonstrating to her. Last week, we considered the love and grace of Boaz declared as it was declared in verse 14, if we move forward. And Boaz said unto her, At mealtime come thou hither, and eat of the bread, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar, And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed, and left. Boaz called Ruth, as we find in verse 14, to himself through fellowship with him at his table, and provided her food from his hand. And just as Ruth was satisfied, as we're told in verse 14, she was sufficed, or it was, and was sufficed, so it means she was satisfied in this, or her hunger was met, she was satisfied in the provision, And just as Ruth was satisfied in the provision that Boaz had given her and the friendliness and love and grace that was extended, it wasn't just about getting food and and meeting a physical need in the sense of a hunger, but also the fact that he had befriended her, he had comforted her. So all of this together is what satisfied her, not just the fact of eating a meal. And so just as Ruth was satisfied in this provision of Boaz, in the comfort, in the fellowship and protection of Boaz, So also we see the parallel here that all of those who've experienced a relationship with God in Jesus and through Jesus Christ have also been satisfied and found that he is sufficient and God's provision of Christ is sufficient and that we found ourselves satisfied in his protection, in his fellowship, in the fact that he provides for us faithfully. And so this evening as we've read verses 15 through 18, we are going to continue to examine Boaz's provision for Ruth. And while 
Ruth was simply attempting to survive. Remember when they came back, she came back with Naomi from Moab, and they are, of course, looking to find grace. You remember that back in previous verses where uh, Ruth goes out with the desire and hope that she will find someone who will show her favor, someone who will be kind to her, someone who will allow her to glean in their field, someone who will allow her to work for food and work for the provision that is necessary for life, that she, be, she and Naomi be sustained. And so Ruth was simply, in, in reality, attempting to survive. That's all she was doing. She just wanted to survive and to have enough to get by and for Naomi. But Boaz, on the other hand, we find all throughout this account, was intent on providing all that Ruth needed and more. And he did it all at his expense. He never asked Ruth or said, hey, I'm going to let you have this, but I expect something in return. I'm going to let you have this, but I demand in future, when, when you become well off or you become better off in a better situation, then I expect you to pay me back or I expect interest off of this. No, while, while all Ruth was looking to do was survive and provide for herself and Naomi, her mother-in-law, we find that Boaz behind the scenes is working and, and, and making an intentional effort, which he did. And, and if you will, in a providential sense, he is behind the scenes working, making certain that Ruth not only is going to survive, but that they are going to thrive in the position that they are in. Just as they are, he was working to make certain that she would thrive in this situation. Verse 15 we read, And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not. Ruth, as defined in this verse, was a gleaner in the field. And Boaz's command to his young men was more than likely made while Ruth was still close enough within the range to hear Boaz's words. In other words, not only was Boaz making certain that his young men did not prevent her, Ruth, from gleaning among the sheaves, but he wanted Ruth to have boldness when doing so. Now, we have to have somewhat of an understanding historically here or culturally of what this means when he says gleaning among the sheaves. This was not merely her gleaning in the field, if you will, just like everyone else, but she is gleaning in a specific area of the field among the sheaves. That's why this, is, this definition and description is, is given to us. Boaz's command was uh, threefold here in this verse. First of all, let her glean. Now, this was a command to allow Ruth to collect and to gather that which was left behind. It was a command to make certain that Ruth had provision there to gather and to collect. Not just give her the opportunity, but make certain that there is something there for her to glean. We'll see that further in the text. Then he says, let her glean among the sheaves. Now this is important for us to recognize, understand from a cultural or historical perspective because it refers, gleaning among the sheaves refers to the portion of the field in which the grain had already been harvested, it had already been cut and piled into small heaps which were then ready to be picked up. So the sheaves were the area, among the sheaves was that area in which, if you will, they had, as we'll read in a moment, they had a sickle in one hand and, and grabbed it with the other hand and would swipe it with the sickle and cut it and then stack it and gather heaps of it and then stack it. And where they would stack it, this would have been a protected area. For, area. for instance, think of it like this for a moment. You've worked all day long and you're, you're receiving your pay for your work and you're stashing it over here in, in, in your in your area, wherever you stash it, whether it be in your vehicle or whether it be you know, in your closet or whether you have a hidden compartment under the floor of your house where you 
put all your goods. Let's say you're collecting your money, you receive your pay, and now it's all put up in one area. Well, you're wanting everyone to pretty much stay away from that area. You're protecting this area, right? You don't want just everyone and anyone having access to this. Well, that's very similar to what is taking place here. The sheaves are the area where the work's been going on all day long. It's not all complete yet, but it's all been cut and gathered to this point, and they've stacked it up, and this is where stealing would take place. This is where there would be a threat of all the work that had been done, all the profits that had been made, would now, whether under the cloak of darkness or whether by the hand of those who may claim to be gleaning among the sheaves, where they would grab some of the sheaves themselves rather than just taking the leftovers or that which had been left behind and the the parts that had not been gathered up, which was intentionally left for people who were without to be able to live and be sustained. And so these small heaps are those which are ready to be picked up. So gleaning among the sheaves would have been prohibited in many cases. It would have been something guarded against. It would have been that which was not allowed. And if it was allowed, no doubt it would have been heavily guarded or watched over those who were gleaning, unless this was a very trusted individual, someone that they knew was going to be honest, someone who they knew would not do them, do them wrongly. And so it, this is all due to the probability that the harvested grain would have simply been stolen by those gleaning potentially, or picking up the stray remnants left behind during the harvesting or reaping process, that they would have reached their hand into the sheaves as well, just pluck out what they wanted or what they thought they needed or what they thought they could get away with. And so this is very interesting. Remember, Ruth has already stated, we read it a moment ago. Why would you show me favor? Why would you show me grace? I'm a stranger. I'm not like these other women that are working in the fields. I'm not like these other workers. I am from Moab. I am not one of your people. So obviously she would have been one of the least trusted people among those who were within the field of Boaz working. She would have been one of the least trusted people who he would have allowed to have gleaned in the area where the sheaves were already stacked, where it was already piled, where it was already gathered. And yet... Here he is saying to his men, let her alone, let her glean, let her collect, let her gather, and then specifically let her do it among the sheaves. This would have been some of the richest uh, uh, of the grain left behind. This would have been places where there would have been an abundance, if you will, and not only that, but there was an abundance of possibility for that to be stolen, which did not belong to her. And yet he tells them to let her do this. And then he says, reproach her not. This was a command for Boaz's young men to refrain from correcting Ruth. Again, telling her, you can't be here. You have no business here. You need to leave. And to refrain from preventing her to glean among the harvested grains. So it's saying, she's not only saying, or Boaz is not only saying, let her do this. He's saying, don't tell her she can't and do not prevent her from gleaning there. Allow it to be. And also he was commanding them to refrain from insulting her in any manner for doing so. So all of this most likely would have been commanded within earshot of Ruth. So not only did he command this to the young men, but as she, got, as she rose up to leave to go back to glean, he then gives this command to the young man, and in all probability, Ruth heard this. Now, that, that, there's two reasons this is probably so. First of all, she was just present and got up and left, but there's two reasons as to why he would have done it in this manner. First, because 
He wanted her to hear him command his men to let her do this. And he wanted her to be able to go out in boldness and do this, not fearful of what the repercussions might be. So it's like you have full blessing, Ruth, to go out and glean in the richest portion of which you could glean. And he's saying, I'm going to allow you to do it in the place that is most risk for me. Because this is the area where there's the greatest risk for me to lose. Verse 16. But then he continues. And let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her and leave them that she may glean them and rebuke her not. So not only does Boaz say, okay, let this woman glean in the field, but let her glean in this protected area. Let her glean in the richest area. And then he says, but that's still not enough. Don't insult her, don't rebuke her, don't correct her. But then he instructs his men to make certain that they leave behind intentionally handfuls, which that's not typically what you would have found as a gleaner who is collecting. And so now he's saying, make sure that there are handfuls of purpose for her and leave them, that she may glean them and rebuke her not. Books have been written, as many of you are aware, no doubt. Sermons have been preached on this one phrase, handfuls of purpose. Many times people have said handfuls on purpose. That's not literally what it states. But it's handfuls of purpose. They were handfuls intentionally placed there. And from a historical perspective, the intent behind the phrase, handfuls of purpose, speaks to Boaz's intentional provision for Ruth. That's what this amounts to. Boaz is saying, I want to make certain that Ruth has in abundance all that she could ever hope or want and desire. I want to make certain that she does not go home empty-handed. I want to make certain that she is even blessed above the effort that she puts forth in gleaning. That's what he's really providentially working out here, if you will. That's what he's intentionally and purposefully working out. Grammatically speaking, the commands in verse 15 end with a colon, which again in English grammar means that this next verse explains the meaning of the command in the previous verse. So in other words, we discover in verse 16 that Boaz was not only preventing Ruth from being hindered in her labor, was intentionally making provision proactively. So let's read these two together with that understanding. Verse 15, and when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and reproach her not. Then here's the explanation of how that's going to look. And let false also some of the handfuls of purpose for her and leave them that she may glean them and rebuke her not. Do not correct her. Do not insult her. And he's saying, let her glean among the sheaves. And this is what I want literally done. It's not just a preventative measure. It's not just saying, okay, let her go. And if she does well, she does well. But you don't do anything to hinder her from doing well. No, this is proactive on Boaz's part. Because now he's saying, here's what I really want. I want for you, and now she may or may not have heard this, who knows. But he says, I want for you to intentionally drop the profits that are my profits that you're working for me for, that you drop those behind, not just making certain that you don't hinder her reward for her labors, but that you are giving an abundance to her in reward for her labors. Commentators have stated that the handfuls refer to the ears of the sheaf, which are grasped in the left hand while being cut with a sickle in the right, as I mentioned a moment ago. Further explanation is provided by explaining that, by this interpretation, 
Ruth does not even need to, now listen to what's being stated here. Ruth does not even need to cut or pull out the grain she is gleaning. As the harvesters cut the standing barley, they were to put out, pull out some of the stalks and leave them lying on the stubble for her. So now you have Ruth, listen, I hope you're following this, okay? I'm, I'm wanting to explain all this and the wording that is used to help you to see a phenomenal truth within this text. Again, not only is she being prevented from prospering in her labor, but she is now reaping reward for that which she did not do. It's intentionally being left behind, and the labor has already been done. It's not just, hey, okay, so I want you to to leave some bananas hanging on the tree so she can have them. No, it's pick the bananas and put them in a bushel or in a bucket and then put Ruth's name on it (laughs) so that she can go by and pick up. Now, I know this isn't bananas. I'm giving you an example, right? So they're saying, look, it's not just leave the, the grain there. Don't just leave the barley there. Don't just leave it there so she can come by and say, oh, wow, Somebody's misfortune is my fortune, right? Because now look what they left behind and now look what I get to get, get to gain. No. He says, you do the work and then leave her the harvest. Leave her the reward. Leave her the benefits. Leave her the fruit. So from this perspective, we then understand that Boaz was instructing his young men, again, to not only let Ruth glean where there was the best opportunity for benefit, but he's also instructing the men to intentionally leave this portion of the already harvested grain available for her to pick up with ease. In other words, not only would Ruth benefit from her labor, but the benefit far exceeded her labor. We go on to read verse 17. Ruth received an abundance at the expense of Boaz. So she gleaned in the field until even and beat out that she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Now, you have to understand, Ruth spent the day in the field and then processed the grain, and after having done so, Ruth found she had more than she could have expected and much more than was necessary, more than enough. Spence Jones commented that Ruth would take home with her what would suffice several days' sustenance to Naomi and herself. In other words, what Ruth gleaned just in that one time was not just for a meal or two. It was for days' worth of provision. And again, I I want to simply say that Ruth's reward from her gleaning far exceeded her efforts of labor. The book of Galatians speaks to the principles of the harvest concerning our sowing and our reaping. Galatians 6, 7 through 9 and you know these verses, and this particularly in the previous verses about restoring one who's fallen uh, or one uh, who, who is in a fault. Ye who are spiritual, restore such a one, the scripture says. But then in Galatians 6, 7, we read, and it says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So there's three basic principles to the harvest that are laid out for us here in this passage, and I believe they're important for us to recognize. First of all, we always reap what we sow. Verse 7 says, For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. I've said to you many times concerning this verse, whether referencing it or teaching through Galatians, that the reality of this is that someone doesn't plant 
a, a grain of corn and then expect, or whether they expect it or not. Someone doesn't plant a grain of corn and then have a, a, a stalk of green bean or a, a plant of green beans rise up, right? No, a plant, no, a bush, of course not. If you plant a seed of corn, a grain of corn, then corn is going to be the result, right? And so, and how many, how many, how many uh, grains of corn or how many uh, kernels of corn does it take to grow a corn stalk, literally? One. Now, usually people will plant more than one when they are planting. I remember years back, my grandpa, when he would plant a garden, he'd plant three. He'd say, put three right here, three right here, and we'd plant three at a time, right? But it only takes one. One to, to obviously germinate, to grow, to produce, right? And, and by the way, when you plant, uh, so, so what you sow is what you reap. You don't reap something other than that which you have actually planted. That which is planted is that which produces and which is reaped. But then that brings us to the second principle, and corn's a great example of this, but so are other plants or other vegetables and fruits as well. But specifically with corn, we always reap more than we sow. Verse 8 says, He that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. In other words, let me ask you something. If you've been born again and you are sowing in the Spirit and the righteousness of Jesus Christ is being demonstrated through your life, the fruit of the Spirit is present within you, does that mean now you deserve eternal life? No. So you're reaping benefits Far beyond that which you've ever sown or could sow. Let me remind you of the corn. How many kernels of corn does it take to grow a stalk? One. And if you get one ear of corn, you have multiplied kernels on that one ear that came all from one kernel. You reap what you sow, and you reap more than you sow. And then the third principle of the harvest is this. We always reap later than we sow. It just is. You don't sow today and reap tomorrow. It doesn't happen. Verse 9 says, In due season we shall reap if we faint not. So the harvest is not going to be immediate. It is a process. And we see this unfolding in the life of Ruth. I brought that up. I was immediately reminded of this as I was working through this passage because of the fact that here Ruth is working and laboring. Is she laboring? Yes. Is she really working? Yes. Did Ruth say, hey, or did Boaz say, hey, Ruth, I just want you to come to my house, and you just kick back, and my men are going to take care of this, and they're just going to come bring you everything. No. He wanted her to work. He allowed her to work. He commanded her to work. He said, don't go into the other field. Stay in my field. Why? So she could work. But providentially, intentionally and purposefully, that is, on Boaz's part, he was telling her that because He wanted to show her grace. He wanted to provide for her. But through her labor, she was reaping reward. But her reward far exceeded the effort in her labor. She was getting so much more than she worked for. Verse 18. And she took it up and went into the city. And her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. And she brought forth and gave to her that she had reserved after she was sufficed. Ruth returned home to Naomi, full of the provision which Boaz had intentionally provided for her. And after Ruth had eaten at the table of Boaz and was satisfied, she then took to Naomi the fruits of her labor. She took to her all that she had received, all that she had worked for, all that she had gathered. And the beauty of this situation is in the fact, and I hope you haven't missed this, Naomi left. Naomi left, 
There was a, a famine with, of course, Elimelech and her family. She comes back and says, call me Mara, right? Call me bitter. Don't call me blessed. Don't call me happy. Call me, call me joyful. Call me bitter. And so she comes back and she has nothing. She has no one. Ruth is the only one she has in reality. And Ruth is not even really her family apart from being her daughter-in-law due to the fact that she had married her son. And so she comes back, and she had heard, of course, remember God had providentially, of course, allowed Naomi to hear that the Lord had blessed uh, Bethlehem's view with bread. Remember, he had blessed them, and there was a, 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 an abundance now uh, from God in provision. So she goes back, and Naomi is depressed, no doubt. She, is, uh, she has bitterness within because of the situation she finds herself in. She had left full, and she said, I came back empty I have nothing, there's nothing of which I can show, nothing of which I can, I can take pleasure in. And so here she is just empty-handed, that's all she is. All she has, she has nothing. So Ruth finds favor in the eyes of Boaz. And Ruth is provided for, protected, and blessed, shown grace and love by Boaz, comforted by Boaz. But where's Naomi? Naomi's still home. Naomi's not part of this. Naomi is still just as she was prior to Ruth heading out. So now Ruth comes back. Now, you have to understand, Ruth comes back not only with arms full of provision, but having received comfort, protection, blessing, grace, love, kindness by this man Boaz. So Ruth came back much differently than Ruth had left. Ruth left hoping, meaning Naomi, hoping that there was someone out there to show her some kindness, some grace. She comes back with an abundance of blessing. Not just in what she held in her hands, but think about her disposition. Think about how grateful she was. She proved that. She demonstrated that by falling at Boaz's feet, by bowing before him, by saying, who am I that you would show me favor? Where, who am I that you would be kind to me? Who am I that you would comfort me? Who am I that you would provide for me? I'm a stranger. So now she's, no doubt I would say this, she probably walked out with reservation, hoping and trusting someone would show her grace. But I can almost say, even after the day's work, she probably returned, as we would say, with a little bit of a skip in her step. She no doubt had a totally different disposition now than she had going out seeking grace, having found what she did. But Naomi's still home. Happens. Ruth comes home. Comes back to Naomi. And look at what it says again. Verse 18, she took it up, went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw that she had gleaned, and she brought forth and gave her that she had reserved after she was sufficed. So the beauty of this situation is in the fact that not only was Ruth satisfied in the provision of Boaz, but there was an abundance which was then also shared with Naomi. God not only provided for Ruth, but he also provided for Naomi through the grace and love of Boaz, through Ruth, by means of Ruth. Boaz's love for Ruth was not only sufficient, in other words, for Ruth, but the provision of his love overflowed to Naomi as well. Might I say to you, if you've received the grace of God in Jesus Christ and the love of God in Jesus Christ, the provision of God in Jesus Christ, the kindness of God in Jesus Christ, the protection of God in Jesus Christ, if you've received 
all of this comfort in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not only sufficient to satisfy you as an individual, but there's an abundance that has been given to you overflowing towards others. God's love for us is just not only is not only all sufficient and all satisfying for us, but is also abundant to the point that it overflows from us to others. This is what John wrote of in his first in his first epistle concerning God's love for us in Christ and the, the reciprocated love we then have for him and others. In 1 John 4, 19 through 21, John wrote, We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this is the and this command we have from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. So this is a love that overflows towards others. It's a love that is present within us, received by God through Christ. And it is present within us and it overflows towards others because of the love that God has for us and we have received of him. So just as Naomi or Ruth received from Boaz this comfort, this love, this grace, this provision, this handfuls of purpose. It wasn't just, Ruth did not just take that and then stuff it away somewhere all for herself. She goes home to Naomi and shares and says, look what, look what has happened. And this prompted, by the way, the change in Ruth or that which Ruth had received and all that she brought home began to prompt questions from Naomi. Where have you been? Where did you get all this? How did this happen? And we'll see that in the following verses. And so now she begins to ask questions about this because Ruth comes back. She left empty. She comes back full. And she came back as well with a story to tell. She came back with something to say to Naomi about where she had been, who she had met, and what had happened. Is that not true of us? as believers in Christ. And we find Christ to be all-sufficient as He truly is. We find Him to be all-satisfying as He truly is. But if you truly have come to faith and and knowledge of Jesus Christ and salvation, then there's an, an abundance of this love and this grace that has been given us that now is exemplified, demonstrated, manifested through us towards others because of the love and grace of God that we have received. Let's pray together. Father, Thank you again for your grace.